Hey, just want to welcome you guys into this space, especially if you're a guest this morning. Just want to say welcome. Uh, it was already said, but I'm going to say it again. If you don't know anything about us, this is it. We are a community of imperfect people. Uh, and so if you come in this morning feeling a little bit imperfect, you feel a little bit tense about being here, like I'm not sure about this church thing, just relax. There's no expectation on you today other than just be here and see what God will do today through, uh, through music or through the word or through a prayer or through a moment that you might meet or greet someone. Just let him do his thing. And so you just be comfortable in that. Um, if you were not around this last week, let me tell you something that was really amazing that happened. And I'm going to tell you there's another opportunity for you to be in Involved. We partnered with the city of Goodlettsville on Thursday. They do this thing uh, every other Thursday through the summer. They do this thing called Music on Main, and there's a local band that comes out, and uh, they just have people that set up lawn chairs over at City Hall, and uh, they just they just listen to music. And so we went over and said, hey, what if we could provide something that would kind of relieve the heat? I don't know if you've noticed, it's hot out. And so uh, we said, hey, what's better? than snow cones and water. So we went out and just distributed snow cones and water. We had about 40 or 50 of you guys there, and, and we just had a great time. And so we're going to do this again. We're going to partner with them on the 21st. And so go ahead and carve that out on your schedule, uh, June 21st, Thursday night. Get there about 5.15, 5.30 to help set up, and then bring a chair and just enjoy. Adam Cunningham's going to be there, the guy that, uh, any, anybody watch The Voice? All right. How's it even on if nobody's watching it? But uh, he's, uh, I think he plays third on The Voice. He's going to be there and uh, just a, a great time. So there's an opportunity to serve there. Also this last week, I hope that you were blessed as you began or whether you continued uh, in your kind of journey through the Psalms. As we are working toward this series, Pray Like This, we wanted to kind of give you a guide. So this week on your seats, you'll see week two. You can start today. It doesn't matter if you didn't do anything last week or you weren't here last week or you're just now hearing about this. Just jump in. Don't feel like you got to go back and start at the beginning. Just jump in today to Psalms. I promise you'll be blessed in that. Uh, but all of this is moving us towards something, and that is this uh, place where we can get, where we can say, Lord, will you teach us to pray? So we're going to do part two to this. I'm really, really excited. I don't know if you can tell it. I'm really excited about today. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what Jesus said in his opening sentence of this prayer. So I'm going to pray for and then we'll get going. Father, this morning I just pray that you use this space and this time and that you use me to relay something that is absolutely crucial to us understanding. Not only is it crucial, it's life-giving. Guys, there, uh, God, there is excitement and anticipation and acceptance that comes in just a few words. And God, you have a tendency to take just a little bit and do such great things with it. And you do that in this text by the words that came out of your son's mouth. You take a little bit and you reveal so much of who you are. And so, Father, I just pray as we continue to work into this place where we're learning and growing and participating in prayer, that, God, you would bless uh, us this morning and give us the space in our minds and the heart to be able to take these things in and grow from them. And we pray this through your son's name. Amen. I set this entire series up not with a story. You know, a lot of times I like to tell stories out of the gate, and, and, uh, but I didn't want to do that this series. I wanted to start this series with just a question. And so if you weren't here last week, I'm just going to give you like 
30 seconds of catch up. We asked the question, how is your prayer life? And we, we said we didn't want you to raise your hand. We weren't going to give you a survey. We weren't going to have you like lean over and tell a neighbor, mine's not really good right now, or mine's not existent, or it's okay, but it could be better. But we wanted you to take a second and just honestly reflect inwardly on how is my prayer life. And we said, listen, if it's non-existent, don't beat yourself up over that. Let's get started. Let's see how God can move you in that. We said, you know what? It's not bad, but it could be better. Then let's start there. If you said, you know what? It's pretty solid, but I still feel like there's something that I could do. There's still a next level for me. We said, wherever you fit on the spectrum, that this series was for you. We said, we wanted to equip you. That's part of the reason we gave you the guides. But here's what we also established last week. It's okay for you to say, I need help. It's okay wherever you're at on the spectrum to go, you know what, I could use some help. There are some things that I just, you know what, I struggle with. I struggle to find wording. Talked with someone yesterday who, who just said, you know, I, I don't know what words to put on that which is going on. Like, like there's something in my life, and I don't know how to say. And, and even having the conversation, it was like, and, and, and God says, listen, that's okay. It's okay. The, the Holy Spirit's going to help you in that. We said, you know what? There are times that we said, I, I struggle to understand even the meaning, the purpose. I mean, we even said last week, if God already knows what we're going to ask, then why do I need to ask it? And so what's the purpose? And so if you struggle with the purpose of prayer, if you struggle with participating regularly in this, we said, hey, it's okay. We said, it's okay to voice. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not very good at this. I need some help. The disciples did. And if you're new to this, the disciples were those that were closest to Jesus. It was kind of Jesus' inner circle. It was his leadership team. These were people that spent every day, all day with Jesus. They watched him perform miracles. They watched him heal people. They watched him interact with people on a daily basis. They watched, watched him teach in the synagogues. They were up close. They were front row seat to everything that Jesus was doing. And even they had a moment where when it came to their prayer life, they stopped and said, Lord, can you teach us to do what we see you doing? And we see this unfold in, in Luke chapter 11. The disciples, it says that one day Jesus was out praying in a certain place. And it says when he finished, when, they were, when he was done, he kind of rejoins the group. They're off watching him. And this is what they say. Lord, can you teach us to pray like that? And so we said, hey, if those who were sitting front row to Jesus can ask for help, then guess what? You and I can ask for help. And so we wanted to establish that last week, that it is okay to go to God and say, God, I don't really understand. It's just not clicking. And so Jesus gives a response. He answers their questions. And there's a parallel text that runs alongside of Luke chapter 11. Luke is kind of giving his account of things. And then there's another follower of Jesus called Matthew, and he kind of records uh, uh, the same sort of conversation. And so there's this parallel text where Jesus responds to the question, to the request, and Jesus responds with, not here's the exact wording that you need to use, but let me reveal to you a model, a model so that you can begin to learn and you can begin to find language in that. And we said that prayer is a learned thing. It's not something that just happens natural. So they're in the process of learning. He says, let me give you an example of how to structure your time, how to structure your prayer time. And he says, it doesn't matter whether you're just getting started or whether you, you've been doing this for a while. Let me help you take your prayer life to the next level. And here's what he says. 
In Matthew chapter 6, these words are recorded. It says, this then, he's answering, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And as we begin to work through this, I want you to immediately notice something. That Jesus starts the response to the request in the most radical way imaginable. See, we typically blow right by the beginning of this prayer as if it's a form letter intro. Dear so-and-so, dear John, and for years we've spent a lot of time looking at what does this kingdom thing mean, you know, and your will, we'll get there next week, or what is this daily bread, or I wish I could forgive and feel, feel forgiven, and man, talk about temptation and evil, and I think we miss because we've blown right through it, like it's just the intro to a form letter, but look back, in verse 9, here's how he starts, our Father in heaven, guys, these four words, and it's actually just two words, to the listener that would have heard this, it would have absolutely shocked them. It would have turned their theology of not only prayer, but who God was, it would have turned it completely upside down. Our Father was unlike anything they had ever heard. The term father wouldn't have been completely foreign. They knew the term connected to God, such as this. He's the father of Israel. He's the father of nations. They would have known about it, but Jesus wasn't talking in those terms. He wasn't talking in a cosmic term of God being the father of a nation. What Jesus does is different. The language that they had associated with generations uh, 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 in connection with prayer, was completely blown out of the water. What Jesus does is he took prayer as they knew it, as they had witnessed it, and probably as they had participated in it, and he takes it to a whole new level. It's different. It's deeper. It's, it's more personal than anything. In fact, I think it was this that they had noticed that caused them to ask the question in the first place. There's something different out of the gate even about the way Jesus prays. And so this was deeper than anything they could have imagined. Now, here's what you need to understand about this. Culturally, among the Jewish people, the name of God was so revered. It was held in such high esteem that there are certain terms about God or names of God that they wouldn't even speak verbally. And so the fact that Jesus simplifies, personal-fies, is that a word? The fact that he does that would have completely shocked the listeners of this. Again, you've got on one hand a culture that won't even say the name of God, 
And now you got Jesus casually just saying, our Father in heaven. Jesus takes their view of prayer, and he takes their view of God's name, and he takes their view of God, and he gives them permission. Guys, this is such big stuff. He gives them permission to address God, the creator, as Father. Guys, this was common practice for Jesus. 156 times throughout the ministry of Jesus, throughout the life of Jesus, recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 156 times, Jesus refers to him as Father. Now, the reason this is different is because he's using, and he uses this term interchangeably throughout his ministry and his communication to God. He uses a term, Abba, or Abba. He uses this term, Abba. We see it in Mark 14. We see it as as he kind of concludes, as he's praying in the garden in Matthew 26. We see this. We see this, Abba, Father, will you somehow, some way, can you take this cup from me? It's this sense of a child saying, God, I need you. Father, I need you. I need you to step in and do something that I can't do for myself. He says, Abba, Father, can can you in this moment do something to help me avoid the situation I'm about to step into? We all know, if you don't know, he was about to step into death. He was about to step into the cross. And there's this term that he uses, and it's a similar term that's found here. And so this term is so significant because when Jesus addresses God, the creator, Jehovah God, when he addresses him as father and he refers to him as Abba, what he's actually saying is this. He's saying, Papa, Daddy. It's childlike, and it's 100% totally relational. It's this concept of a child who runs to their father with open arms just reaching for the father who they know was going to scoop them up. There's an intimacy that runs with this. It communicates like a child to a dad that even in the most inopportune times that I can rush into the arms of my dad, even when I'm dirty, when I'm messy, when I'm sticky, and you get, your, dad knows, you, your dads know what I'm talking about. I don't know how you do it. I hate to be sticky. And when I see you at the mall or at a place and there's just a kid that's got stuff all over, you don't even hesitate, do you? Because you are Abba Father, you are Daddy, and it doesn't matter how messed up or how dirty or how sticky. It doesn't matter if you're hurt. I mean, is there greater joy that in that moment? Is there this comfort that comes when a child who's hurt comes? Dad, I, I've scraped. And you what? You scoop that up. And, and Jesus takes that sort of term and he puts it to God. The Father is waiting, waiting to take care of me, waiting to nurture me, waiting to love me, to welcome me. Jesus says, start there. He said, you want to begin to pray radically different. Start there. He says, you can and you get to address God, the creator, as Abba, Father, Daddy. This is so intimate. It's so personal. And it's so big. I believe that this is so big that this not only shapes our prayer lives, but it ultimately drives our worship. 
I think it becomes, when we begin to grasp this, when we begin to understand this, it will not only change what happens in our closets, as he talked about last week in these private places, it will begin to shape what happens in these public places. It will begin to drive our worship, because here's the thing, worship is driven by a deep, personal, intimate relationship with God, where he is viewed and we begin to understand him as Father. I've missed this for so long. I believe that one of, the, one of the greatest aspects of our Christian faith, I believe that, that, that one of the greatest aspects of our relationship with God is fatherhood. It's this concept of adoption. I think we are, especially as, as non-believers, we're rushed so quickly to God the Savior that we miss this fundamental, foundational, crucial piece of who it is that did the saving and does the saving. I think that it's one of the greatest aspects of our Christian faith, of our relationship with, with God, when we understand the fatherhood of God. And I think that's why Jesus starts there. See, all throughout Scripture, several times throughout Scripture, we are referred to as adopted. We are referred to, or it's this concept that God chose us, that he grafts us into the family. Meaning that we become full participants in the family. If you contrast, he says, hey, before this life, before I, I redeemed, before I restored, before I rescued, before I saved, well, you were alienated, you were enemies. He says, but after you're redeemed and your family, it, it's through faith, it's through grace found in Jesus that, and this is what blows my mind, not only does he allow us or brings us into his kingdom, Guys, if we stopped right there and said, okay, I get to at least be in the vicinity. I get to be on the hillside in the kingdom of God. That's plenty, right? That's enough. But he says, no, no, not, not, not do I just open up the gates of my kingdom for you to come in. I open up the doors of my house. And you get to come in and sit at the family table. He says, now you are sons. You are daughters of the king." It's not that you're just allowed, again, to be out in the countryside in the presence of God, the king. No, you get to sit at the table. And all of this is a part of him saying, our God. Here's what it's saying. He says, not only am I his, he is mine. It's not just that he chose me as, as a servant or he allows me some sort of space where I can be, you know, a participant. No, he says, not only are you his, but he is yours. And that's such a major, con just let that sit on you for a second. Our Father. Just let that rest for a second. Let your mind begin to, to wrap around. You're not going to be able to completely. But in that, we find value. And it doesn't matter what the world says suddenly. We find acceptance 
You were chosen. We find belonging. We find trust in a God who is unfailing, whose love never ends. We find safety. We we find provision. I love that he uses the term our. He doesn't say my. He says, no, it's our. There's inclusion. There's closeness. It's personal. Not only am I his, but he is mine. And here's what we need to understand, that these are all things that are inherently who God is. This is what makes up God. That he is a father. And when we connect to him in that way, not only does it open up our prayer life to new life, we begin to experience a sense of confidence and value that comes with no other relationship. See, there's a difference in this kind of relationship with God the Father than any other relationship that we will ever experience. And here's the thing. I know that in a crowd this size that some of us have pretty good feelings about fathers, and some of us don't. Because I know that some of us haven't had good experiences, and so we hear this, and maybe part of the reason we blow right through this is because we don't want that view. We don't we don't need that sort of view, that there are some experiences that come uh, that, that just negative. They don't carry really good vibes. It brings up a bit of pain. It, it brings up a little bit uh, of hurt. It, it might bring up this sense of abandonment, and Jesus knows that. Jesus knows those hurts and those pains and these experiences. And he's not using this term to rip open a wound. He's not using the term to diminish, like, oh, don't worry about it. He's not using it to dismiss those feelings. But what he's doing, he's using it in order to restore. He's restoring faith and restoring trust. What he's saying is that regardless of your past experience, there is still to be experienced a fatherly relationship that is perfect in design and perfect in execution. See, he shares on several occasions what this looks like. Jesus tells the story of a prodigal son, a son that goes completely off the grid. And I'm not going to tell the story. We, we did a, a lesson on it a while back. But if you don't know the story, there's a son that came and asked for his inheritance, which again was such an insulting thing. He goes over, goes out into the country, lives this wild life. He runs out of money, needs to come back. So he has this concept that maybe God will just let me back into the father, will let me back into the kingdom. If I can just go be a servant, if I can be a hired hand, if I can just get my little place on the countryside, you know, I'll just kind of spend my time there, but it'll be better than where I'm at. And what he experiences is such a different experience. He experiences a father, an Abba, a dad, who runs and rushes and put rings and a robe, and he throws a party. He, he, he sees that on his return, that God, the Father, the Abba, was there waiting full of grace, full of mercy, full of love. And here's what I love about that story. There wasn't a single moment in the prodigal son's life in return where regardless of his experience with fatherhood, there wasn't a single moment where he had to worry at what point does the rug get ripped out from under me? At what moment does the other shoe drop? What moment will I experience a lesser love? 
It never came. And what Jesus, the point of telling that story was so that not only we as big brothers can learn something, but he tells the story so that he can display the Father's love. What, what Father Abba means. Jesus even models this himself. In John 14, Jesus says this. He says that anyone who has seen me has also seen the Father. He says, you want to know what God the Father, God Daddy's like? He said, let me show you. Just watch me. If you want to know what the Father looks like and how he operates and how he deals with things and how he's going to respond, how he's going to act, how he can be trusted, Jesus says, look at me. And if you begin to watch just start reading in Matthew and then go to Mark and Luke and John. If, as you begin to watch how Jesus lived and how he handled people and situations, you know what we see? That Jesus operates full of grace and full of mercy and full of love and full of acceptance, all of which can be trusted, all of which doesn't run out and it does not fall short. It is constant and it's consistent. And Jesus says, that's what I'm talking about when I say our Father. And so if you've been hurt and you've been left feeling negative, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lean in and discover who God is. God the Father. And I think in time what will happen is the facts about God the Father will override your feelings and your faith will begin to grow. Restoration in the term, in the concept will begin to happen. He will begin to heal and mend brokenness in your life that you may not at this moment even think is possible. See, the idea and the experience of God the Father in time, I believe, will rid us of the notions that entrap us so much. The notions that, well, I'm not good enough. The reason that I had such a negative experience back here with my earthly father, maybe because I'm left with a little bit of emptiness, is because I wasn't good enough. And God says, listen, not so with me. Not so with me. Maybe for you, it's one of those experiences where you go, you know what, if I had been better, then maybe he'd been better. And God says, listen, my love is not lesser based on how you do or do not do something. He says, there are facts about God. And if you begin to discover those things, those facts, he says, they're going to be facts that will begin to override your feelings and your faith will begin to grow. Here's the bottom line of this. The bottom line is that God is intimate, and God is loving, and God is caring, God is long-suffering, and mostly God desires a relationship with you. He chooses you. Guys, how awesome is that? This is so central to our faith. It's so central to our prayer life, and here's why is that once we know the Father through his Son, we can go to him anywhere, anytime, about anything. And if we can grab that, that at any moment, when, yeah, maybe there's some relationships that's gone bad, or when there's some things happening in my life that's scary, when there's some fear that, that is just creeping and it is about to absolutely break me, when there's a moment when you don't see light at the end of the tunnel, when there's a moment when you feel lonely and you feel isolated, and when you can't seem to take that step to find the value and the worthiness to fit into a community, when you, you fill in your own blank, Jesus says, no, no, no. When you're connected to the Father, when you've been grafted into the family, just like a child, there's no time that's a bad time. 
And he says, you can come to him anytime, anywhere, about anything. That is absolutely incredible. And guys, we're only two words in. And i got to be honest, I had a moment this week where I'm guilty of just running by those two words and not really kind of going, God, that in and of itself is absolutely amazing. It is completely transforming. But he moves on and he begins to couple things. We're going to see this unfold throughout the rest of the series. But then in part B of just verse 9, look what he says. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says, now that we've established relationship, let me get down to business. Let me tell you how you can petition God. Let me tell you kind of what to say to God. And we're going to notice that the first section is not about our needs, but his glory. And what we're going to begin to see unfold in this word hallowed is that God's name is big. God's name is holy. That there's a worthiness to God, that God's name is worthy. It's meant to be honored. It's meant to be respected. It's meant to be revered. All, again, things that reflect his character. All of which point to the purpose of not just prayer, but our life. Jesus says there's the starting point, not the conclusion. And if you pray like me sometimes, it's, the conclu- it's kind of the P.S. God, I need this P.S. By the way, you're pretty good. You're great. Did I mention I really like you? Thank you. And we try to, we, we, we kind of cram it at the bottom of the letter sometimes. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's the starting point. Now that we've discovered relationship, let me give you where we start. He says, next thing out of the gate is this, it's a declaration of adoration, it's worship. See, I told you prayer life is not only going to affect us personally, it's going to affect our worship, the things that we do. And, and, and let's be honest, we typically think of worship as you know, songs or music, and we, we come to a program type thing, and, you know, we, we do a few songs, we have some teaching time, maybe a reading or a prayer in a certain place, this. This is what we typically think of. But Jesus says, no, no, no. It goes beyond these moments, beyond these walls. It is critical, it is crucial, and it is central to a solid prayer life. He says, let God and who he is be voiced. When's the last time that in your prayer life, in my prayer life, in our prayer life, when's the last time we've stopped taking a deep breath and just worshiped? When's the last time that we, in the middle, at the beginning, or at the end even, of our prayers and the way that we view prayer and the way that we view the God who we're praying to, when's the last time we've just paused and went, hold up, God, I'm about to just break out and dance. I'm going to break out and worship. I, I, we'll get to this stuff in a minute. I'm just, can we just, and this is what Jesus does. He says, lead with adoration. Lead with praise. Lead with worship. See, we can't underestimate these moments, and here's why. In these moments, we are reminded of who God is, what he has done for me, and how he's going to do it again. And in those moments when we begin to tap into who he is and what he's done and how he'll do it again, is there any other response than to say, God, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Oh, you are worthy. God, you are so big. You are bigger than anything that I'm about to ask. You are bigger than any moment that I'm going to go through or that I'm currently going through. 
See, another aspect of this hallowed be your name is this. It's not just saying the name, it carries with it that I will also seek God to honor you, to hallowed your name in the way that I live. See, when we become followers of Jesus, part of that calling, part of that life that we're called to is to manifest, to bear the name of God. See, this isn't just about proclaiming about how great he is, how holy he is. It's a declaration. It's a commitment that says, hey, this is also, God, what we're pursuing. That Your name is honored. Your name is hallowed. Your name is revered in my life. And all of a sudden, you begin to shift from relationship to worship to response. And what happens is in this moment, you go, does how I behave, does how I act, do my attitudes, do they make great the name of God? Do they also hallow the name of God? Do they honor the name of God? Am I doing my part in making God's name holy? Not just saying it, but in the way that I conduct myself. And here's what we have to understand about this hallowed, is that everywhere the name goes, guess what? His presence goes. And so if we're going to leave here and carry the name of Jesus into our workplace tomorrow, you better bet that God's walking in with you. And in these moments when we say, yeah, I'm a Christian, you better believe that your Facebook posts, God is in those. And in those conversations that happen on, in, in side places and in the, the innermost parts of not just your, your mind and your body, but in the, the places that you are physically, because everywhere his name goes, he goes. So if that's the case, then again, is, is where I'm at, where I'm representing his name, is it also hallowed, honorable, lifted up? I know I've thrown a lot at you, but let me just unpack one more little thing about this. I want to connect. And Malachi, who was an Old Testament prophet, he says this. He says, and this is the Lord speaking. He says, my name will be great. He's talking about, again, that there will be a knownness, a, a hallowedness that will be known. He said, my name will be great among the nations. From where the sun sets to where it rises, there's nowhere. Again, where the name of God goes, he goes. In every place that incense and pure offering will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations. He said, his name will be great, his name will be worthy, his name will be hallowed, and he connects it to something. He says, in every place that incense is brought, now let me connect this to prayer. In Psalm 41, there's more than this, but in Psalm 41, he says this, may my prayer be as incense. Revelation, John, later in Revelation, as, as kind of the Bible as we know it is concluding, and, and, and John is seeing into heaven. Listen to what he says, that there were elders holding bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. See, guys, there is a direct connection between our prayers and our life and how the name of God is made great. And again, I don't want that to sit on you like some burden but I want it to sit on you as an honor that I get to, to carry and represent. I get to be the manifestation of a holy, worthy, perfect God. And when we pray, hallowed be your name, it's not only proclaiming who he is, but it's proclaiming who we want to become. It's proclaiming that we are striving to represent, God, your holy name. And God, you are reminding me through this prayer of not only who you are, but what you've done and what you will continue to do. 
And it's only when I find surrender, it's only when I find this posture of submission that comes from saying, God, you are holy. Hallowed be your name. Only in that moment am I then ready. Am I in the perfect place to begin asking for my request? And that's what we're going to begin to see unfold. So as we kind of land today, let me just tell you this, that both the Father and the worthiness, see, both aspects of this. He says that not only are you going to need to grab this sense of deep, intimate relationship, but you're going to partner with that, this sense of holiness and worthiness. He says both of those are crucial to not just your prayer life, it's crucial to your relationship with and it's crucial to your view of God. John, who I mentioned a second ago, gets this perfectly. There's a moment where John, a disciple of Jesus, they've just finished dinner, and in John 13, there's this picture of John and Jesus where it says that John leaned into, that he reclined into physically the arms of Jesus. And he knew that Jesus was God, the, the divine sent. But he felt so comfortable in that moment. His view of who God was in that moment allowed him to recline and rest in the arms of God. And then later, the same John, in Revelation chapter 1, he says that when I came into the presence of God, he says, my body felt limp as if I was dead. Why? How can he in one moment feel so comfortable leaning into the arms and at the other being in such awe that he drops before God because he understood that God is meant to be experienced in both of those. And that both of those, when put together, puts us in the perfect place to take the next level, not just in our prayer lives, but begin to take that next step, that next level in how we walk. It allows us to slow down and focus on things. There's no rush. That adoration has a focus and a slowness to it that will change our lives. You guys stand with me. Here's the question I want to ask as we end today. I started with how's your prayer life, and we're gonna, you're going to hear that again and again. But I want to end today with what's your next step? Maybe for you this week, it's, it's to start right where we just left off. Maybe for you this week, it's this. Slow down. Slow down. And guys, let's be honest. The world does not allow us to do that very effectively. Our phones, our calendars, our, our, our Twitter accounts, our Facebook, our boss, our kids, our spouses, our relationships... They don't allow us to slow down very effectively. And I just want to encourage you that maybe your next step this week is just to find some time and a place where you can slow down for a second. Maybe for you, your next step is, I need to know and experience this perfectly designed, perfectly executed God because that's not my experience. So God, I, I, I've, got a lot of, I've got a lot of baggage Will the facts about you begin to override my feelings so that you can restore this term, this concept in my life?
Maybe for you, the next step is that you need to experience the forgiveness that God can provide. It is that coming back to, to the house in hopes that you might get into the kingdom, into the vicinity, but God's saying, no, 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 I forgive in such a way you get, you get to sit at the table. Regaining trust and confidence. And I just want to say, if that's where you're at, then let us pray for that. Maybe for you that your next step is, you know what, I, I, need, to, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to proclaim him as my Savior. You know, he says that no one gets to the Father except through me, through the Son. So maybe for you, it's just time to be grafted in. Sign the adoption papers. And guys, it's not, it's, it's just a surrender. It's just saying, okay, God, I, I can't do this alone. And, and I promise you, there's not a laundry list of things. He says, okay, here's what I need you to go to work on. And then when you go to work on those, and when you begin to perfect those, you know what, we'll talk about your seat. No, he just says, hey, just start with saying, hey, God, I, I, I'm here. Don't know what my next step is, but I'm here. For you, maybe it's that, it's that process of identity and baptism. Let's talk about that. Guys, next week, we got four or five already that has said, hey, I want to take the next step in baptism. I'm going to tell you, we're going to party. We're going to cheer our heads off for people who are taking that step. Maybe you want to be a part of that. For you, maybe it's just saying, hey, my next step is finding community, to find connection, to find accountability, to feel valued comes in relationship. Let's talk about how we can begin to connect you to a group of people who, guess what, struggle just like you struggle, but have a common focus, a common purpose, and that is to serve and be like Jesus. But I pray that this week is filled with next steps, and for some of you, I pray that this week is filled with first steps. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one.